Welcome to Austin Allyship Collective's podcast and our series on community memory, where we take a deep dive into snapshots of Austin's cultural history. This is Kendall Buchanan, and he's here to actually shed light on the Austin race riots um, and tell us just a little more about what happened then and um, give um, his experiences on the time. So, Kendall, thank you for being here. And also, um, we're going to start off with really general questions and then a little more specific um, on the time. Okay. okay, so the first question is, if you could give us um, a little information about yourself and your connection with the Austin community, did you grow up here, um, and if so, what school, schools did you go to within the Austin school system? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I was born in Austin, in old Austin Hospital in 1952. Uh, I was, uh, so I was born on Spring Street. And uh, I started Claremont School uh, five years later, at five years old. So do the math. Uh, it was somewhere around the you know second part of that um, uh, of that decade of the 50s, 56, 57, around there. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, started at Claremont and went all the way through the Austin uh, school system. Interesting to note that. Uh, uh, by the, I got to seventh grade and the middle school was not finished. They were building it. So I went to seventh grade at the Austin Junior Senior High School uh, because they had seventh and eighth grade. Uh, seventh and eighth were in the new building and then the old building were, was ninth through twelfth. So I went to seventh grade uh, up at the high school at the Austin Junior Senior High School. I went to eighth grade. We were the first graduating uh, Ann M. Dorner Middle School students in 1966. We were the first eighth graders. So we were groundbreaking there. And uh, then uh, then went to high school in 67, 67 through 70. We were the tumultuous uh, class of 1970. Um, and that's basically my school, uh, you know, information in terms of where I went. Great, thank you. Sorry, I'm also going to mute myself just so there's no background noise while you speak. Sure. Um, so it's going to take me like a two second time frame to unmute myself. Um, um, thank you so much for um, providing that information. Um, can you give a little bit, uh, can you paint a picture of like sort of the de- demographics of Austin in the late 60s, um, early 70s when you were going to school, particularly um, when you were going to school? Uh, you don't have to give like, you know, it was mm-hmm. 70% this, 80% that, but like, what did you see? Like what, from your pr- point of view? Well, unlike, unlike now where the uh, African-American population is approximately around 12 to 13%, uh, we had a much higher percentage of African-Americans uh, in, in the area at the time. Um, I'm not sure whether it was in the low 20s uh, in terms of percentage but I would venture to say that it was close to that um, in, in terms of the, the amount of people. I don't want to jump your question, so I could, I could elaborate so much more on, on and jump off of certain subjects and into different things, but I'll try not to do that for the benefit of, of your questioning. 
so so in terms of the population, uh, we were we were much more and we felt uh, uh, um, much more of an uh, community presence in terms of African Americans here in the village uh, of Asne. Great, thank you so much. Um, yeah, because it has it, it has from what I've read so far, it has really changed the demographics um, of it. And I, I mean, I was talking to Joyce last week, mm-hmm. and um, also Dana White, who was also the pre um, before uh, Joyce. She was the Austin historian, yeah. but saying <laughs> that Highland, which I live on Highland, but mm-hmm. Highland was the Mason Dixon line of um, the sort of sixties and seventies of Austin, and that's really, really super. It's interesting, but also not surprising because it kind of sort of still is. Um, But um, yeah, so thank you so much for for giving that demographic sort of Yeah, Route 9 was definitely that that line, uh, you know, without a doubt. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, So now that you've given us a little bit of background on you and like what you saw back then, um, here's one of my broader questions. So Mm. the first riot happened... um, well, the archives say that it happened because of the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, in April of 1968. So um, you would have been... I like, was in uh, seventh or, I mean, ninth or, ninth or tenth grade. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so you were in I the was, high school. I was, uh, I was 15, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So you're young. You were a young man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was 15. Okay. Um, so I would I just want to know, like, from your perspective, you can give whatever information you remember or whatever you how it started, what happened after. You can go ahead and, and, and talk about that. Absolutely. Uh let's let's go back to that evening of his death. Uh I came into my house. I don't remember being uh, I might have been in the house, but I don't think so. I think I came into the house. And um, we didn't have a color TV until uh, after I got out of college in 73. So it was a black and white TV in the dining room. And my mother was sitting in the dining room and informed me that Dr. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Uh, we were glued to the TV after that, that evening. And then the next day, of course, was school. Uh, <clears throat> it had... Uh, gone around pretty quickly because by by first period, all of the black students knew. And I think even before that, I think we knew before at uh, that evening, I think it, it had gone around that quick, the, uh, the plan. And the plan was uh, at 12 noon, we walk out of our classrooms and meet in the foyer. No, I'm sorry, meet in the... Um, in, in the area that used to be where the school store was called the teepee. Now that, that uh, now I believe there are, when you go in there, you go into classrooms through the back of it. So they use it for something else now completely. But um, at any rate, we met there by that doorway uh, next to where the TP was. We all sat down and we were met by black community leaders, uh, Walter Bubby Brooks, AKA Sundiata Sadiq, uh, soon to be a uh, cultural and uh, uh, 
black leader and icon in the Osning, in the realm of, of Osning uh, black history. Uh, uh, more of a militant stance. Uh, he had already been uh, involved in the uh, black Muslims. He'd already been involved in the Nation of Islam, I should say. He'd already been involved in the Panthers. Uh, he was involved in several movements um, and uh, very powerful voice. Also, uh, Margaret Opie, who was all, a, a very strong African-American woman leader in our community. Uh, you have to understand the times because in 1968, uh, Martin Luther King was, you know, and and a cultural and black icon in America, but there were also other factions to the movement, and I refer to that time and era as the modern day civil rights movement because people get that twisted. They refer to it as the civil rights movement. There were several civil rights movements throughout history. That was the modern day civil rights movement. Um, so we were influenced not only by Martin Luther King, but we were influenced by the Black Panther Party. We were influenced by um, Stokely Carmichael. We were influenced by H. Rat Brown. We were influenced by the Last Poets, who were a, um, uh, a poetry group uh, that uh, that that uh, basically their content was uh, of of the movement um, and of black culture. And just like people are rapping today, and they know rap songs and they know rap artists, the Last poets were our rap artists. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you had to look at the origins of rap, you'd have to definitely reference the last poets. And that was our, I mean, we, we knew those records because they were records back then that came out, LPs uh, that came out. And, and we knew those records backwards. And just like they spit rhymes today, we spit poetry uh, the, the, of the last poets back then. So we were very, we were we came up in an era where we were influenced so that we were a very politically conscient conscious group of young people um when we walked down the street socially uh we we didn't say yo what's up we said we raised our fist with the black power sign uh we had afros you know which weren't just a, a style of you know, a, cult, a, a style or a fad, but they they meant that you embraced your beauty. Uh, there were there was more black programming on television and uh, commercials that uh, said the words "black is beautiful" and "Watu Wazuri use Afro Sheen. Um, and uh, so 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 we were very very politically conscious, and when we met. Uh, that day, uh, and they spoke to us, and we walked out of school. It happened to be garbage day, uh, where you know garbage was collected in the village, and you had hundred, hundred fifty black students riled up, angry students leaving the high school. It consequently ended up. Uh, uh, 
pretty much a full-blown riot on Main Street down to the corner of Main and Spring Street. And those garbage cans that were out on the sidewalks ended up in store windows and and at cars. So uh, it became a pretty raucous event. Um, after that day, that kind of quelled and calmed down. Uh, and that was pretty much that. But what people have to understand is that, uh, and I had this unfortunate argument on Facebook, probably my last argument, because I refused to do that again. But uh, there was a person on there that was um, that that uh, a white person that that's account of that uh, day uh, referenced a bunch of thugs that wanted to, um, you know, kill Whitey. And that wasn't it at all. Um, no one. We weren't thugs. We were angry, you know, and. Uh, you know, because you know, here again is is another African American leader. You know, we had seen Medgar Evers go. You know, we were aware of Emmett Till. We were aware of so many things, and this was just another, you know, log in the fire. So it exploded. That was 1968. So um, we were kind of ripe for something else to happen because uh, the uh pretty much climate of the country was was a, a tinderbox, you know. It, a lot of those summers, cities in America were exploding in full-blown riots. Detroit, Watts, Chicago. Uh, Chicago had, uh, King had come to, had, had come to Chicago to uh, head a movement up there and been pelted by, was pelted by a brick, you know, uh, a couple of years before that. So, in, I mean, you know, all of these things that were happening in the country weren't just happening in the South, like some of the young people might think. Uh, these things were happening right here in Austin. These things were happening in Chicago. These things were happening in New York City. Um, you know, they were happening all over the country. And 68 was a very, very, very intense year. We lost Bobby Kennedy. We lost Martin Luther King. Uh, I believe the Chicago Convention was that year, uh, the Chicago Democratic Convention, mm -hmm. uh, which broke out in a riot. You know, So it was intense. Can I ask you, um, I guess just coming, going off of uh, your take on um, what happened that day, um, was the intent to, I, I, I know that riot, like riots are very political and they're very, um, they're very geared towards sending a message. I, I think a lot of folks these days are like rioting it, you know, it doesn't get your point across, but like it truly, it truly, truly does. And people hear you when you riot. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, was it your, your intent to riot or was it supposed to be sort of just like a march and then it turned into like, um, you know, people clashing and, and, and things like that? Or was it or was it supposed to be intended to be a, a riot? It was intended to be a demonstration. Okay. Uh, it, it, uh, when you have 15, 16, 17 year old kids that are angry, uh, it comes out in different ways. Um, things explode, things ignite. You don't 
uh, a lot of young young people are not as able to take the high road. Uh, you know, they have to be taught to, you know, utilize their anger in different ways as as they mature. And uh, you know, you had you you had you had a bunch of angry people. I mean, it, it wasn't just Osning. Uh, after King, after King's death, that exploded in riots. You know, we are reflective of every black community in the United States, and that's what a lot of people, a lot of my white friends uh, of that era, even today, kind of fail to understand is that you had, you know, yes, I was your friend from, you know from Ms. Brunner's class in Claremont School. I, I was your friend, but that doesn't mean I didn't feel sure. what was going on in my culture. That didn't mean that I lost who I was. And I think that, you know, based on the fact that white, young white kids in particular, but I would say white people in general n never really you don't realize white privilege if you're mm -hmm. privileged. You know, you Absolutely. live it. It's part of you, but you don't realize that you have somewhat of an edge on on a culture, you know, on the other culture. You know, so they they tend to not associate what we did with what kids did in New York City, right. Watts you know, Mississippi. A legitimate, you know, form yeah. of, of protest, but it, it right. truly is. Um, and I think riots are, it's the, uh, who said it? I don't think it was Mandela or it might've been, but riots are the, the language of the unheard, right? So, yeah. um, and it's true, like privilege for white people, white people have the space to understand or try and cope with injustices in their lives. But for a lot of, Black people, for a lot of people of color, for a lot of indigenous people, there is no space for that. Um, and so, like, oftentimes um, the reaction is going to be different from what a white person might say. This is a legitimate way to react. So, yeah, um, well, it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate way to act when you're angry. However, I would not ever condone rioting. Right. Absolutely. Uh, but it, but I mean, it you you do understand it. And uh, I think it's incumbent in us when those things happen mm -hmm. to control it in a manner that is productive and less destructive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally, I totally agree. So we're going to go on to our next general question, um, which is about the second riot that happened in February 1969. Um, if I get any of the dates wrong, Please um, no, tell you're, me. You're right on on that one. <laughs> um, so what was your perception of what happened and, and what happened um, when you were in the high school and, and, and um, your experience? We would love to hear. Okay, so uh, now that was, you know, the year before. That was uh, 68 that we were talking about. Now we come to 69, February of 69. Um, <clears throat> uh I was uh, I was a junior. I was in front. I was in the what they call the foyer, uh, 
they used to call the foyer. It's not the foyer anymore. Now it's the weight room and 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 all of that, that whole area there around the gym. What they did was they closed the the whole that whole part off. That whole weight room was was open, just like where the trophy case is. It went around that corner and that was just an open space. Um but I was pretty much by the gym doors and the trophy case. And there were a few people in the hallway. You know, there were a few people out there at the time. I would say maybe 10, 15 people. And uh, I was uh, I was in the in the foyer area in front of the gym and all of a sudden things erupted. There were, you know, a fight started to develop somewhere in the hallway just before you go upstairs on the first floor right off from the gym at that water fountain. Now, here's the gray area. I was led to believe that one of my classmates, a young lady, uh, for a lot of years I was led to believe this story, was at the fountain and that two white students pushed her away from the fountain uh, and said something to her. Um, I don't know how accurate that is. I got a chance to ask the young lady that later, but I was a bit more specific in what I asked her because I asked her if that person had called her the N-word because that was what was said. That might've been a rumor. Her reply was no, if somebody had said that to me, then you know, nobody would have ever said that to me. There would have been some problems. Well, there were problems. But she said that nobody said that, her, but she did not say that she was not the one that was at the fountain. So something happened and I'm at that fountain between a, a black person and a white person. The story is that it was this young lady pushed away from the fountain, called the name, and the fight started there. Uh, when that fight started, there were some white guys there, there was some black guys there, it kind of broke out into sporadic fights in that area. It kind of calmed down after five minutes. But by that time, people that were in the gym had poured out. Um, and the, knowing the climate of what was happening in general in, in America with race relations at that time, and what wasn't acknowledged at the high school uh, in terms of racial tensions, you know, because people are going on like everything's all right. A black girl could hardly get on the cheerleading squad at that time. They were conveniently turned away because they didn't qualify. Uh, that had always been an issue in Austin. Uh, before I go on, I do want to say this. This is a newspaper from October 29, uh, 1969. Um, discussions continuing at Austin High School to eliminate student grievances. Ah. And uh, I keep it in here because it's falling apart. And on the second page is actually a couple of pictures. Uh, I'll get to that later. Okay. Um, but um, that's how, that's, when the riot started, I was right there. After it kind of calmed down, different pockets of black people got together and said, okay, it's on. 
tomorrow morning, come prepared. And that's pretty much what was said. The next morning, we met in the same place, uh, what was called the foyer, right in front of the gym, the doors right in front of the gym. And there was every black person in the school seemed like, you know, it seemed like they were there. Mm -hmm. Armed. There were chains. There were sticks, pool cues. One person I know was packing. He always did. Um, and we were ready for war. So what happened was uh, three of the students, pretty prominent athletes, uh, grouped us together and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. The Crotonville bus gets in because most of the kids that seemed to be causing the trouble were from Crotonville. So when the Croton bus gets in, the Crotonville bus gets in, you wait here, you guys wait here. Myself, so-and-so and so-and-so are gonna go through the gym and meet them and surround them. So we'll be on one side of them, you're on the other side of them. So they went through the gym, the bus came, and those kids started to come in the school from through the foyer. They would come in through that, that, that foyer area that is now the uh, weight room, uh, but that was the open space leading around to the gym. They came in through there uh, off of the buses. And when they came in, uh, that group that had gone around the back decided to come back through the gym. So they came back through the gym and we all met that group of uh, white kids from Crotonville, approximately exactly where everybody was standing in front of the gym doors. And the, the organizers, the ones that had gone through and then come back, they confronted several of the troublemakers from Crotonville. And uh, there was dialogue and then there was slaps and then there was fights and then it was on. And uh, it was a tsunami. It was a tornado. It was a tornado. It started there. It went from on the first floor from the gym all the way down to the circle, fighting, breaking windows, running in classrooms, turning over desks. Um, a lot of the teachers locked their doors, locked people in their classrooms after they heard what was happening. Uh, by the time we got down to the circle, the police had come. Police ran in the building we literally fought the police. Um, they had billy clubs. They hurt a couple of students. Um, uh, that's pretty much where it died down. Um, and uh, that, 
that was pretty much the crooks of the riot. But it was huge and it lasted a good, it probably, I mean, at its, at its height, it might've lasted 40 to 45 minutes, but uh, all the after effects, you know, things that happened after that, the school wasn't really secure that day until for maybe two hours. There were uh, different situations that went on, different fights that broke out different places. Somebody would catch somebody somewhere, a group would catch somebody here, or, you know, um, and, uh, that was it. Then, uh, so after that day, they closed school. Um, and uh, they made an effort to get people together to talk. Um, different, there were still tensions though. The tensions were really high, but they had, they had uh, gotten people together to talk. Now, I, I'm trying to remember how far from that had, maybe you might know, uh, what the timeline was between the riot in February and the Together weekend. That was probably in the spring. From, let's see. It had, the, the riot was in February. It does, I don't have any notes on, I, I can look though. Um, I, I believe it was in the spring. Okay. I should know that, but I it does it really skips me at the at the time. But the together weekend basically uh there were students that were gotten together to talk about this thing, to plan a, a large event. One second. You what? All right. To to uh to to stage a, uh put together a, a large event. Um there were several different groups that got together in the planning of that. I was in a group that um, that had Frank Daniel, who was um, uh, a uh, probably the best tailback that ever played Austin football at Austin High School. He's in the Sports Hall of Fame, uh, and uh, Victor Ray, myself, and I don't remember many of the white kids, but I do remember meeting at the recreation uh, center, which was on Church Street at the time, uh, and you know, going to meetings to try to put something together and talk over our grievances and stuff like that. But there were other groups involved in the planning of this also. Did it feel, did Together Weekend feel like it was organized, balanced? wise in terms of black and, and white students? Or did it feel like, all right, this is what the administration kind of just wants to do so that people can get over what happened and things like that? Or, or do you feel like it was, it was pretty balanced and um, in terms of that? I think it was pretty balanced. I think the students had uh, probably more to do with it than, than the, than the uh, faculty, okay. definitely. Um, one great thing that they did is uh, I have a, uh, I have a, a cousin that is uh, historic. Uh, he's in, uh, in, in history books for music. Sonny Chirac mm. uh, had released his first album, Black Woman. That's ironic. <laughs> uh, and uh, they got Sonny to come and play. And 
what I didn't know and what I read about recently, I, or I might have known or forgotten, was that uh, Sidney Poitier came. Mm-hmm. And um, the Mongoose was was his uh, nickname. I'm trying to think of the boxer. Uh, I can't think of his name now, but they called him the Mongoose. <laughs> Somebody out there watching this will know, though. <laughs> but uh, famous, famous boxer. Uh, his his career had pretty much ended by then, but he was still a very famous boxer, and he came to the school as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there were several groups. Uh, there were a lot of, you know, back then, uh, there were a lot of groups, a lot of uh, uh, rock and roll groups that formulated and played instruments, mm-hmm. played an instrument back in those days. And... Uh, so there were several groups like throughout the uh, school community as well that, you know, were together and uh, they had different events where they, you know, some of them played. The big event in the circle was Sonny Chirac and uh, my cousin Kirk Chirac, uh, who was my classmate. And uh, we uh, used to do a lot of things together performance wise. But that day, Kirk and Richard Reed was another classmate of mine, sang on that show. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that was, oh, also Channel 2 was there. Channel 2 covered that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, they, and oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. There was footage, uh, a, a report done in the circle on the news. And in that report, way in the background, walking across the field, because they didn't have the, the school was different. That whole section where the science rooms are and all of that, it wasn't even there. It was just a really big field. Okay. And walking across the field in the background while the uh, reporter was doing his uh, report was my brother, Brad. Ah. <laughs> so he, he, okay. made, he made the news. I'm sure uh, we can find um, footage on it on YouTube, maybe. If we, if we do like a quick search, there might be some footage on it. On Together I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to find that. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I actually, so I have a few other questions on specifically Together Weekend, but um, I want to just move on to the the last two rides that happened, just so we have your account of, of what happened. So um, the next riot, the third riot that happened, happened in 1971. I don't have an exact month for it, but um, uh, I know you weren't, you weren't in school, right? You were, no. in, you had graduated no. already. No, but I can tell you this, that um, that riot happened in February, the one that I was uh, involved in. Okay. And uh, in this, this uh, newspaper is from October. Okay. Of that year. So there were still tensions in October. Mm-hmm. There were, there were a group of, and what they say here, 200 or so white kids that called the meeting of the faculty and expressed their their concerns and their anger. And then there was a black group uh, of kids that got together and expressed their anger. Some of those white uh, kids uh, marched from the school down to the Citizen Register, huh. uh, which was the newspaper. They had a building on St. Paul's Place. And there's a picture in this um, newspaper of them outside 
of the Citizen Register after they voiced their the whole second page of this paper is just full of news on that on on that uh, from October after that riot. Um, so so there were there were tensions even then. One of the grievances, which is very interesting, that the white kids had was that at certain events the black kids would raise their fist in the black power sign. Mm. <laughs> that was one of the grievances. <laughs> yeah, I actually wanted to ask you a question about, so this kind of ties into the last riot um, in 69, 69, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but so what, I can feel, from your accounts, I can feel what sort of um, was going on within the black student community. Um, but from your eyes, like what, what was the energy with the white students? Like, were they particularly militant as well? Or were they, um, you know, I don't know, were they trying to erase what was happening or, or, or what have you? Do they not want change? You know, it's very interesting because you had several things. First, I, I think, first of all, what comes through my mind before I, and I'm going to answer that, but uh, before I, I answer that, it's like, be, because of the information that I just gave you, one would ask the question, well, why were you fighting? Mm. You know, I mean, there was one fight and then all of a sudden people bro and, uh, broke out into a full riot. And then this thing lasted through the whole year, these tensions, uh, you know, to the point that in this newspaper in October after February, there's still these big issues and walkouts mm -hmm. and everything. Well, it's there's a really simple answer to that. People were not aware of some of the things that we felt. Right, sure. You know, I mean, we felt a lot of things. We saw a lot of things that, that, that a white kid never experienced. Mm -hmm. And we had to accept those things in the end. And, and the, the, looking at the climate of the times, we were also being ignited with knowledge. And basically we were the generation that we just weren't going to take it anymore. And, and uh, some of the issues that were raised out of the riot uh, were that uh, black girls couldn't get, couldn't get on the cheerleading squad. So they, they made a big color guard, which, uh -huh. yeah. And there were, uh, it seemed like there were 50 girls on there and, and it, it seems like, at least 30 of them were black. <laughs> uh, my graduating year, there were at least four or five black girls on the cheerleading squad. You didn't see that before then. Mm -hmm. uh, so those were one, some of the couple of the things that happened, but there were other issues, you know, black studies, you know, um, mm. you know, where was the black history in, in, in the history pro uh, uh, program, you know, uh, there were a lot of, issues that came up that were valid issues, you know, things that affected us, but everybody didn't see right, we right. felt it. So that's, that's kind of why, you know, all of those tensions existed. Now, uh, your other question was what? Um, no, it's okay. So, uh, it's a lot, it's a lot to like, yeah. uh, realize too. So, uh, my question was just like, um, you're giving us such a great picture on like sort of what the black uh, student community was feeling. Mm -hmm. What in, but from your perception as well, like what, what was the energy with the white student community? 
Um, were they particularly militant or were they, um, do they just want to say like, you, you guys don't, you're not oppressed or, or face any injustices or anything like that. I'm wondering. I think here's, here's, here it is. Um, this was an era in 1969, I believe Woodstock happened. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So you had the peace movement going on the same time as the black power movement. You know, so you had kids on actually more white kids into the peace movement than you did black kids. But there were some black kids that were into the peace movement and maybe not as particularly into the power movement. Now, the majority of kids uh, that were here in Austin, the black kids were here in the village. So the majority of the black kids were more into the power movement, but you had some of those black kids that were kind of sprinkled into the peace movement that really didn't get involved in that. Now, a lot of the white kids were into the peace movement. And then a lot of the white kids were like, what are you complaining about black mm -hmm. kids? You know, I mean, we went to school together. We play sports together. What's the problem? Because like I said before, if you live in privilege, Absolutely. you know, then you don't, you're kind of like oblivious to the fact that somebody isn't. Yeah. And uh, I think that, that it was more, especially reflecting on this article, these articles of a lot of these kids that got together and had issues with things. It was like, Listen, I, you know, now we're getting the raw end of the stick. You know, mm -hmm. you got, you know, you, you're paying attention to these black kids. What about us? Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> which is what we we're seeing right now, too. Um, yeah. I think that's like very cyclical and um, like Black Lives Matter. Like that's mm -hmm. like very um, indicative of what's sort of happening with the counter counter protests with Black Lives Matter. Like, yeah. don't all lives matter? Well, of course, but um, black lives right now are oppressed. So yeah. um, that's really interesting that you say that and how like relevant it is today um, yeah. in the movement, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, thank you for that. That was very helpful. Um, so now I want to just move on to the, the last general question on, okay, I'm going to read you us. I was looking through the archives and I, I found <laughs> interesting quotes. Um, that the March 1974 riots were the most bloodiest, um, most violent. Um, and so I want to ask you for your account of what happened. Um, also, I know that you weren't, um, I know that you weren't in high school at this time, but it said it spilled out into the streets. And so the community really saw like what was going on. Um, and then maybe I'll, I'll tell you my quote after you give your account. All right. Well, here, my, my account won't really be much of an account because I was, that was my uh, first full year out of college. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, my brother was in school and unfortunately he left us uh, three years after he graduated. Uh, he oh. had uh, childhood cirrhosis and his, mm -hmm. his liver didn't uh, allow him to, to live past, uh, I think it's 21st or second birthday. Um, but, uh, his, but he was in school at the time. I, I wish he was here, but I, I do know other people that do, do have vivid accounts of that situation. 
I really coming out of college in in 73, uh, really pursuing a music career by 74, uh, you know, I really couldn't tell you much at all, mm. you know, sure. uh, about, about that riot. Uh, I was not as socially involved uh, as I got later on in my life back then, because coming out of college I, and pursuing music, I was just off to the races trying to sure, figure, figure that out. Well, you know. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. I, I worked in childcare, you know, those years. I worked at Wiltwick School for Boys. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, in Yorktown Heights. And uh, so I, I know I was working there. But, uh, you know, in terms of what happened uh, at the school at that time, I know practically nothing. Gotcha. No problem. Thank you yeah. so much for letting me know that. Because um, I, I know that it happened in the cafeteria and then it started to spill into the streets and things like that. Let me ask you a question about who was your principal during the time you were at OHS? We had a principal up until that time. Uh, his name was Mr. Allison, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correctly. And he retired. Okay. And then they they got a guy from Connecticut named Mr. Uh, um, Is it Stanley Toll? No, 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 no. Um, wait a minute. I know his name. I can't. Uh, give me a second. Okay. No was Howard. Rosenstein. Huh. See, Ross, that doesn't sound right. But I think it was Rosenstein. I just want to give me a second here. Rosenstein. Rosenstein. Okay. Howard Rosenstein. And he was kind of a young guy, you know, mm -hmm. which helped. You know, he had a young look. He was and, white. Okay. Yeah, he was white. Yeah. Okay. But but he was open to, uh, you know, really listening and trying to get this thing together. Interesting. You know? So, uh, he, you know, he was probably a bit more open than, than you know, some of the uh, uh, former heads of, of the faculty. Uh, he was a little more liberal, I think. Okay, I see. Yeah, so, I, so Rosenstein was, uh, I graduated under Rosenstein. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. They must have changed principles maybe right after or a little, a, a few years after. I think, yeah, I think he was just kind of, uh, they referred to him as uh, an, was it an associate principal? Okay, okay. Yeah, something like that. They didn't refer to him. They There was like a little... Little uh, pre thing that they attached to him. Okay. Kind of <laughs> made you think that maybe he was temporary. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. So, um, Joyce, wonderful Joyce, gave me a lot of archives on the time during the time. Mm -hmm. She gave me a specific article right after that uh, was printed right after the March 1974 riot. Um, and this is from school principal Stanley Toll. Mm -hmm. um, I guess during the riot um, in 74 was the principal of OHS. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, and I quote, the main eruption occurred with a group of about 50 youngsters, 99% black, running around with the apparent sole intent to create problems and do physical damage. Um, I look back on that and I think like, 
I don't know if this is so accurate, you know, like, I don't know. Um, especially cause I think a lot of the archives don't, they're, they're lacking a lot of the students' voices and they're lacking a lot of like, what was the intent? Like, this is the, of course the principal's going, wants order and maintain, wants to maintain order. So this is the easiest thing to say about the riot. Um, yeah. instead of saying, you know, looking all the, look at all the glaring issues within OHS that I have to change. Um, so yeah, I just thought it would be an interesting thing to, to talk to you about. Like, I, I know you just mentioned about the principal that you graduated with was, was, um, more on the, a, a little more on the liberal side and more willing to listen. Yeah, um, that, 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 um, that statement by him is pretty typical. Uh, you know, people, people look at the riots, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the, the media tends to have a history of looking at some of those riots and pinpointing a lot of the negatives. Yeah. They're burning down their own stores and, uh, you know, but they kind of missed the point of why it, why it ignited in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's very true that a lot of times, uh, a lot of the violence does take away from the the true crux of the issue. It's absolutely right, but still, I think the issue is is probably the more valid point. Sure. And um, I think that uh, that statement that Mr. Toll made it surely highlights a lack of uh, awareness in terms of of uh, you know why this. Right. Thing exactly. Developed. I think a lot of the archives are like yeah. that. How, how how do you how do you how do you come to the conclusion that fifty black kids decided right. to destroy exactly. society for no reason? Exactly. You know? Yeah, and, and then those turn, reasons, yeah, and if those reasons are not addressed, then it will happen again. Yep, absolutely. That's a great point. Mm. Um, that's a great point. So I'm going to go into more of the specific questions that I had. Um, and we talked a little bit about Together Weekend. Was there anything else you wanted to add on Together Weekend? Because um, I think we, we covered it pretty um, comprehensively. Um, but do you, oh, do you think that Together Weekend was a success? Do you think that it, like, connected people? Or do you think that it was just sort of not a cover-up, but like sort of just like, here's what we're going to do for you and then let's go on with our lives. I think it got us through, uh, I think it got us through a period uh, where things could have easily ignited again and again and again. It got us through yeah. that period and got us to a point where we could reasonably sit down and navigate how to go about making the change. Um, because I, I think that if, if that focus on the, that weekend hadn't happened, uh, there would have probably surely been another ride of that magnitude pretty soon after that February one. But, uh, you know, the focus, um, wisely, uh, was put on, on putting together this weekend, grabbing some of those factions that were involved like myself and, uh, sitting us down and, and having us talk. So, uh, no, it wasn't a kumbaya moment. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there were still issues to this day. There are still issues that were not fully addressed back then. You know, we still have a lack of, um, black staff, you know, black teachers, yep. uh, 
we, you know, we still, there's still a lot of holes in the program. Absolutely. So, um, but, you know, you, you have to continue to chip away at those things. Right. Keep pushing. Absolutely. Um, one of my, you can give like a quick one sentence answer to this one, but it's a short one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were the biggest hot spots for the racial clashes um, within town? Because I know like the archives mentioned the calf at the cafeteria as one and then um, um, downtown as one. So from your perspective, like, was there like two or three spots where you knew that like, man, if you're, you're not willing to get into it right now, like just avoid those areas or. Um, no, no, because the, you know, the, the riots that happened in town, uh, there weren't that many, mm-hmm. you know, the only one that I can really think of, uh, that was a riot. Now there were there were some there were some blowouts between us and the police on on some Halloween evenings mm-hmm. where we actually fought the police and they were drunk. Huh. Uh, I, I have a few incidents, you know, there of you know, that in the village. Um, but uh, in terms of of really having a racially tinged riot. The only one I can think of is the one after King died. So there were no hot spots where uh, people gathered and, and, you know, decided that they were going to cause destruction. There were areas, there were places in Osning that you could go uh, in the black community and talk about these black issues. There was an an opportunity center and and, uh, it was called the Opportunity Center. Where, Where was that located? The Opportunity Center was uh, where Rim Plumbing is now downstairs, somewhere in that in in, uh, in that that s- small area of that row of buildings. Uh, there was a space uh, that was downstairs, and this was might have been pre this was pre CAP, pre Community Action Program, but it might have been one of the early spawns of the Community okay. Action Program. It was called the Opportunity Center. And um, it was black operated. I don't know if it was black run, black, you know, managed, but it was certainly black operated. Uh, my aunt, our roof artist was the receptionist up front for a while. Uh, I think Margaret Opie worked out of there and there were uh, black influential leaders like Bobby Embriano and um, that were older than us, Calvin Rasco. Pete McDonald, mm. uh, now Kofi McDonald, um, who uh, talked to us as as young kids, who uh, uh, gave us and instilled us with black awareness. Mm. You know, uh, taught us how to be proud of ourselves. Taught us uh, that uh, we should embrace Afrocentricity. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah. Know, the time during Black Consciousness too, right? So that was. It seems like it. It was very vibrant within Austin. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and then and then you know, I mean, you also had negatives in the. You had negative things in the community. You had, uh, you didn't really have open areas where people hung out and did negative things in Austin. But the heroin problem was a black mm-hmm. problem in the '60s. It wasn't a white suburban problem like it is now. It was a it was a totally black problem, and you would it was it wasn't uncommon 
to walk down Spring Street and see a junkie sitting mm -hmm. on a, a milk carton nodding. I, I witnessed that myself, you know, or to see some of my friends in, in heroin nods, even, yeah. in, even in school. Mm. There, was, there were students, there were a couple of students that I knew that were hooked on heroin and, and you know, sat in class and, you know, teachers might have thought, I don't know whether they were that naive or not, might have thought they were just tired, but I knew what was going on. Right. So, yeah, in the archives, there were a lot of talks about methadone and then um, yeah. ways to avoid heroin addiction, things like that. So, um, like, all over the archives, which was interesting, too. Yeah. 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 Um, so I do want to get into, like, redistricting. Um, for like the, our, our latter half of, of um, our meeting. But um, so what was sort of the black community's feelings toward redistricting? Was it a sense of hope, um, very hopeful, or was it mixed with um, fear? I mean, I can imagine um, that, that were, there was some element of fear um, in redistricting the schools um, or unifying the schools. So um do you have any sort of like, or what did you feel about it? What did you feel about it? You know, it? I, that too was in an era where I was uh, a young lion, you know, <laughs> out trying to, trying to find out, you know, uh, where Earth, Wind and Fire was playing. Rightfully <laughs> <laughs> so, you should have been doing that. You should uh, have been doing that. Yeah, well, that. I, that's, I was, I was working on it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was definitely I was definitely doing that. And uh, so that I didn't think about much, but I have a very good friend and mentor that really is well versed in that. Her name is Francine Vernon. Oh, uh, yes. She there she was um quoted in one of the um in one of the archives and also is she related to Patricia Vernon? Yes, she because, is. Okay. I know Patricia. My sister graduated with Patricia mm -hmm. um, in 2004. So I'm sort of familiar with the family. If you um, want to talk about the, redistrict, the redistricting, redistricting um, piece, she, she is definitely the one to talk to, and I could get you in touch with her. Love uh, that. As a well, in that area, she has a wealth of knowledge. Oh, that would be great. I would really, really love to pick her brain on on that sort of like process that happened. Um, yeah. But I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I'll email you after this, and then you can give me, um, so you don't have to worry about it right now, but thank yeah. you. Yeah, all um, right. So... We talked about, a few, uh, actually, you, you um, talked about some black leaders that we uh, that you came across while in high school. Um, I'm Okay, so I'm wondering about, um, so in the 1994 New York Times article, which Ms. Vernon is actually quoted in, um, it states that a lot of the progress in Austining was made from or was credited to the work done by the schools, the school board, the administrators and teachers. Um, do you think this credit is like, do you think this credit is properly placed in terms of like not of, of avoiding any future riots? Um, I know you weren't there for the 74 one, um, but in your experience, do you feel like the administration and um, the schools and the school board were particularly involved in 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 answering all of the grievances? 
Uh, good question. Um, no, no. Uh, I think they were good at getting things back on course mm -hmm. uh, as, as conveniently as they could. Uh, but I think that some of those key issues that should have been dealt with uh, were never truly fully dealt with. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, once things calmed down, it was business as usual to an extent. Uh, there was, uh, you know, with, with um, more black presence in the faculty, and I'm not going to say that it, it, that there, that that didn't happen to an extent, you know, there was also, um, you know, a bit more done to, to address the needs of some of the concerns of black students. Mm -hmm. But I think overall, there's still a lot more that could probably be addressed. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't credit Osning school system with making any great advances mm -hmm. after, you know, based on those riots. You know, I would, I wouldn't credit, I wouldn't give them that credit. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Because that's important, you know, especially as a student, when you're watching this and you're seeing, you know, who has the power to change things. And um, that makes all the difference, you yeah. know, as opposed to an outsider's perspective or the actual administration saying we're doing this and this and this. But um, to hear it from a student that was actually there is really important. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, and thank you for being so honest about that. Sure. Uh, I think... I always want to. I always want to end off on a like a high note and a hopeful note, um, but um, so there is talk about racial harmony today in Austin, right? There's always this like co horrible colorblindness that you know. I hope everyone avoids. But um, um, do you think that there are? Do you live in Austin right now? Are you a resident? Okay, I, I've been so, in the same house since 1952. Uh, Oh, I was brought wow. here brought here at six months old. Now it's mine. And uh, I'm, oh, I'm still uh, here. I've gone, I've gone nowhere in life. <laughs> no, you have. You have. You were trying to find Earth, Wind, and Fire yeah. as a young lion. Yeah. <laughs> so you give yourself more credit for that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um, <laughs> But I, I'm wondering if you feel... If that there are any remnants of issues from those 60s and 70s riots that are still alive today? Or do you feel like there's been great advances um, or great progression um, in terms of um, racial harmony? Because that 94 archive of um, Austin's racial harmony, that was the title of it. And, um, you know, we just had a Black Lives Matter protest um, like a few months ago. Um, that was all fueled by students of color um, and black students. Um, so there are issues. There are still issues. So I'm wondering, um, from someone who was there in the during the first few riots, um, what do you think about that? Do you think that? Well, yeah. So I was just wondering about that. I know. I, I think that I think there's plenty more that that we can do. Uh, I don't think that you know. As I said before, I don't think that um, that dealing with what those riots were back then uh, 
quelled any of uh, any of the major problems. I think at the core of of, of um, at the core of those problems, I don't think that uh, that they've all been dealt with. Mm -hmm. um, there's still privilege. There's still certain privileges yeah. um, that that exist, and uh, I think that with the present day awareness that we have after George Floyd's death, uh, I think that it is a really refreshing thing to see that uh, we're in a generation of, I think there's, I think it has a lot to do with the generational change because I think that uh, we're in a place now where there's a generation of white people that understand what we mean when we say white privilege, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that that when we say white privilege, we're not we're not calling you a cracker, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. We're not calling you, uh, uh, you know. We're not saying whitey, get out of here. You're no good. We're being honest, you know. Yeah. There there is there are certain privileges that that white people enjoy that black people don't, and um, at the core of uh, a lot of the very subtle things are, are those privileges that uh, we feel every day. And we're not asking every white person in America to be a psychiatrist, but we are asking every white person in America to be woke. Yeah, and you to know. care. Yeah, and, and, and to... And, care yes and to and to not and and when you care to to not not ignore or turn your back on some of the things that you see and know are wrong because a lot of times um white people well-meaning white people really see these things but are a little hesitant to say anything about them mm -hmm. um Absolutely. yep you know we we all saw what happened in Central Park with Amy Cooper, mm -hmm. you know, and I think in this present era of awareness, that's one of the more poignant poignant things that that we need to look at. The fact that she knew she could get away with saying what she said about the gentleman that basically told her to hold her dog or to, to keep her dog on a leash and to really leave the area because dogs weren't allowed there. Mm -hmm. You know, and she screams that there's a black man attacking me. <laughs> right, I, right. The white hysteria. Yeah. And this, this is, I think, I think this is not, this is what we live with. And, uh, in to, to some extent, uh, this is what is given to our children, even in schools you know, to an extent. Um, I think that those hard, honest things really need to be addressed and looked at and opened up and dealt with in a, in a, in a way that will um, put people on a path to regularly understand what they are. And okay. I think that can happen best in an educational system where you have young, open minds. Uh, so um, I, I think it's very important if, that if we're going to ever come to a point where we can say, okay, those problems have been dealt with 
properly, then we're going to have to be a lot more honest about those problems on on more than one level. Yeah, which is actually what what the push is now um, is for OUFSD, the Austin Union Free School District, is to um, bring to light some of these issues that um, specifically black students will, you know, they should be aware of. And, and then in the same token, white students should be aware of their own privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to, I know the, t- the discussion is really centered around having things like SUNY racism, classism, and sexism, which is a, a 12th grade um, class, be sort of integrated into freshman year, sophomore year, you know, junior year. And those are like really real discussions about um, how you walk in the world um, for different types of people. And so I think that's really important. And I think that, thank you for, for touching upon that because it's a good wrap up. Um, but I did think of one other question and then we can finish, we can wrap up after that, um, unless you had anything else to say. But I wanted to ask you about Austin police, because I know you mentioned them. Um, and I think that that would be sort of a disservice to like completely ignore that the Austin police had a hand in um, calming down the the riots. So, um, what were what were your what's your account of how Austin police um, um, handled the situation when they were called? Uh, well, that's interesting to say. Uh, when they, when they were called to the high school, they were called into a situation that was pretty much a full-blown riot. Mm-hmm. Um, this was 1969. Uh, so their, the, the police, their, their answer to any uh, public, you know, outburst like that are, are, are to uh, outburst back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so that's right. what they did. They beat us. You know? Right. Uh, uh, I, uh, the Osning police in general have, uh, just like every police force in America, have always had really big problems with the black community. Sure. Um, I mentioned briefly before on Halloween, you know, we fought the police. Those policemen were drunk. Mm-hmm. They were dressed in plain clothes and, and, and costumes to, to, to be, um, unassuming. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to force or herd uh, a crowd one way when people lived in the other direction and they wanted to go home. They were made to go down the street. Right. And consequently, right. that ended up in a fight. And uh, I mean, that that's that's just one incident. Uh, when we had the rally a few weeks ago, I mentioned that um, there was a policeman named Zeta, Frank Zeta that is notoriously his, his, historically known for being a, a, a out and out overt racist. Sure. Stand in the middle of Maine and Spring Street and, and, and spew, you know, the N-word and everything else uh, and kept you standing on the curb for as long as he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Because back then there was no light in the middle of Maine and Spr- Spring Street. There was a traffic cop that crossed you. Oh, okay. That I happened understand. through the 60s, you know, through part of the 60s until there were lights put up. Wow. Um, 
so so there you know there were uh I spoke to an Austin policeman black Austin policeman uh and we actually honored him uh in our first Sankofa homecoming which is a big event that we have in Austin every three years and um I had a private conversation with him and he was talking he was a policeman that had retired he, he's almost 100 years old at this point. Wow. And uh, so he was a policeman way back then. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I was never one of those policemen that used to take those kids in, in the station and beat them. He said, you know, I would just I would just go talk to them or I'd go talk to their parents. He said, but there was plenty of those policemen that would take those black kids in the precinct and, and just beat them. Was it was it that, um, that was the culture of that was the culture of policing back then. Right, right. And honestly, it's it's covert, maybe a little bit more today, but it still absolutely happens. Um, yeah. Was it was it primarily white? Was it a primarily white police force or oh, always? Yeah. Okay. Always, yeah. Okay. We, you could always count the number of black policemen on one hand. Right. When we were coming up and probably right. even now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and that's also important to to see yourself in those positions of power as well, because if you're holding the power and you also walk through life with this certain lived experience, um, you'll act accordingly and and um, you know a- appropriately. Um, but I, I just it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but it is very poignant when you say like, you know, during the riots they were. They were trying to combat the riots by beating, you know, students. And these students are still babies. Like high school students are still children. They're not you no know, grown adults. They don't have an agenda of terrorism, you know. So it's just like, it's very poignant, and it, and it really reaches home. I think. Um, so thank you so much for for talking about that, even though like you know it could be very hard yeah. to talk about. No problem. Yeah. Um, so I have no more questions unless you want to add something that you forgot to say. Um, it's all recorded, so we'll have it um, on record. So um, no, I, I, you know, I think I, I think I said it all. <laughs> great, amazing, and I, and you did such a wonderful job at it, and and for being um, so honest and um, um, talking about just your your accounts, and that's that's amazing. So thank you so much. Kendall, I'm I'm so happy that I've met you virtually. Hopefully, yeah. sometime in the near future, um, I'll meet you in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm so happy that that um, I've met you, and thank you so much for participating. You're welcome, and I'm, I'm sure we'll meet at one point, uh, you know, face to face. I I I I um I'm, I'm I was very happy to do it, and uh, as I you know, as, as this thing has opened back up and I do more reflecting and, 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 and research and backtracking, you know, if you want to do more or, or do it again, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I'll sit down and kind of open up the books and open up the, the knowledge and the mind and, and get more details for you. You know, this, this, uh, the interesting thing here is, is what happened after that you know this October thing has really right. interested me because uh, I get a chance now to reflect on that era and that was leading up to my graduation. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 That was the beginning of my my graduation year. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, 
and and those those kids that yeah those those kids that they named that 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 were in that group those white kids I know I knew them very well. Interesting. Yeah. It's so yeah yeah that's a different conversation in terms of like you know knowing someone so well but then also seeing them act in a different way in terms of like opinion and political opinion and things like that but really it's like an existence opinion you know so. yeah. So thank you so much for giving me all this information. So, so valuable. I'm so happy that you participated in it. And um, once we decide on what sort of like medium we're going to use, I think we're going to write out this article, um, but we'll send you everything that we use from the video and things like that. So there'll be complete transparency. Um, and let us know if you have any questions as well. Um, okay. But also if you think of anyone else who would like to talk about their account, if they're comfortable enough to talk about it. Um, I know for some people it might be painful or, you know, um, let me know. I'll, I'll shoot you an email too after this. Okay. Yeah. I'll talk to a couple of people that I know were very closely involved and see if they're, they're willing to, you know, give you a little time. One of them is actually up in Buffalo. Oh, wow. Okay. But, uh, you know, through the, uh, the magic of, uh, this media thing, you know, right? you, she can, you know, that person can be right there in your, in your room. So absolutely. Just like right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All okay. Right. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye.